So I want to read from John chapter 8. I, I just feel this stirring in my heart to talk about the gospel and what the gospel is. I feel like there are, without jumping too far ahead before I read the text, some of the text here, I feel like there are a lot of versions of the gospel and there's a lot of mixture. There's a lot of gospel, good news, uh, mixed with some bad news, mixed with some bad theology, mixed with some old covenant views of God. And I want to talk about the gospel that is revealed through the scripture and Jesus Christ. And, and I want to look at this story. Uh, it's so profound. And I feel like you know, we've kind of been on a little bit of a series lately, uh, and actually we put it on our YouTube. If it, who, who follows us on our YouTube page? Like four people. Who doesn't raise their hand when they're asked a question in church? That's what I thought. Okay. Um, we, so we put together a little series, and it was an inadvertent sermon series. We didn't really intend on doing it. By the way, who was here last week? Wasn't that amazing? My wife is my favorite woman preacher in the world. She's so anointed, so anointed. Um, but we did like a little series and it's, it's called uh, Guarding the Sacred. And it's about community and honor and unity in the body of Christ. So I encourage you to listen to that. And this is kind of going to springboard off of that a little bit. Um, I feel like that there is a dilemma and I don't, I'm not a negative person. How many know me well enough to know I'm not a negative person? As a matter of fact, I can't stand negativity. Um, but that doesn't mean I, I would live in denial if there's something that needs to be corrected, right? Uh, there, there's a balance in that. But like, for example, like right now, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. I'm not going to act like there's nothing going on. But at the same time, I'm going to trust in a kingdom that's higher than any other government that's on earth. Come on, somebody. Because Jesus is Lord and his kingdom will have no end and his kingdom is advancing and he's going to return to a glorious and a victorious bride. He's, Jesus is not returning to a church that's hiding in caves waiting for the great tribulation. Hello, somebody. And if, if we get a glimpse of, of Jesus in his glory, we realize that we are a part of the church that he's building and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And now's the time for us not to be pessimistic, but really have a kingdom mindset of what is the Lord doing in the midst of the chaos. And we should be preaching peace in the midst of the storm. We shouldn't be feeding, like the, the prophetic words of the church of the Lord Jesus should not be the same pathetic words that are on CNN and every other news station out there. Come on. Oh, we're going to go, we're stepping into World War III. Like, I think we should prophesy the opposite of what we think is that, like, we need to prophesy what the Lord, what is the Lord saying right now in the midst of everything that's going on? Come on, somebody. I think it's so important though, and, and so I'm not like a, that has nothing to do with the message, by the way, but I'm not a pessimistic person, but I'm also like, I, I don't want, I want to be aware of like what God is doing. So like, there's a tension sometimes in our Christian faith where I know that he has made me whole. I know that I'm loved. And at the same time, sometimes I'm like, I am broken. Like, I am still receiving his love. And I think sometimes in our Christian faith, we learn a little bit of knowledge 
And all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, God loves me, you know? We go to a conference about the Father heart of God, and all of a sudden, we, oh, we know everything about the Father heart of God. And then we still act like orphans. And, and so what is the Lord, like, are there things that I'm not aware of inside of me that the Lord wants to heal? And, and sometimes we are not aware that the healing comes through the people that are around you. And the Lord just uses people, broken people. We're all in one sense, right? We're not perfect. Is there anybody perfect? Raise your hand if you're perfect. My wife started raising her hand, so. But I, I, wanna, I wanna talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Like, what does the scripture say? And I, I wanna jump to a couple of verses here. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about walking in the light as he is in the light. And that when we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And just before that, uh, John, the theologian, or John the beloved, the one that was known to rest his head on the heart of the master, come on. I wanna be like John the beloved. Or he knew he was Jesus's favorite because he chose to stay close. God loves everyone the same, but some people get more favor because they choose to be close. And John the Beloved says, God is light. God is light, and in him there is no darkest darkness at all. No darkness. But sometimes we feed the version of the gospel and the version of uh, the theology or our view of God that we've made up in the darkness... And we, we like to say God is light, but God is love, but. But the Bible says God is love. That doesn't mean that God, like, you know, doesn't have wrath. But wrath is not like our wrath. Are you thankful for that? <laughs> the, the wrath of God in Scripture is his emphatic no against what hurts you. His wrath, God's wrath is not against you. But religion and, and our fallen minds make this view of God that we want to hide from him. It's just like in Genesis where they hid from the Lord in the bushes. And you and I do the same thing because we have made an image of God. There's an old poet that says, God made us in his image and we decided to return the favor. But see, our view of God is going to affect our view of how we understand the gospel, and our view of the gospel is going to affect how we view God. And many of us, not only have we, you know, we tasted of religion and in, in, in the bad sense, like, you know, theology that's, that's not healthy, like how, and theology, by the way, is not a bad word. It's like, how do you see God? Simply, how do you see God? Now, Jesus came to settle the issue of what God looks like. And so we're going to talk about that. And in this story, I see that. I see Jesus showing up, the Lamb of God showing up, and it's an invitation for us to behold who he is. And when we behold who he is, we allow the light and love of his presence to heal every area of brokenness within us. 
So let's open up to John 8. And uh, let's just start reading from verse 1. It says, And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Verse 6 says they said this, they were testing him, that they would have something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I've learned to do that. Like if people annoy me, I just ignore them. That's a really, really powerful way to live sometimes. I, I was talking to my kids the other day. I'm like, do you, can you tell when someone or if you say something that actually bothers me? And my son, David, I think it was David. He's like, yeah, you just kind of ignore him and just have like this. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Because before I would start saying stuff and I've learned to just be quiet and guard my mouth. Come on, somebody. I'm not preaching right now. I'm just talking. I'm just talking. But I love this. So Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground. Verse seven, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And then it was just her and Jesus right there. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, so powerful, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Which, by the way, when we, when the Lord washes us clean, it doesn't empower us into a place where we can just do whatever we want to do. It actually empowers us into a place of freedom in our true identity. Because when we know that we're sons and daughters of the living God, sin is like a third shoe. We have no need for it. Sin is something that's not a part of us. As a believer, when we sin, we're going against our own nature that God's given us in Christ. Do you know that you're not, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a, you're a saint that was transformed by grace. Paul doesn't open up letters and say to the sinners at Thessalonica. Hello? But we like to open up the word and read what we want to read because of our theology and read, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a wretched man. And we read the few scriptures of Paul. I'm the chief of sinners and, you know, can't outdo Paul. It's like Paul wasn't talking about him being a person that lived in a habitual life of sin. He was talking about how he persecuted the Lord and the church. You are not a sinner. If you are in Christ and you are born again, you are a saint. You've been given a new nature. And the reality of the gospel and the light of his love comes in and transforms our heart where we begin to not only see God for who he really is, but we look in the mirror and we see who we really are in the light of the gospel of Jesus. 
And I love this story, and there's so many things we could talk about in here, like what was Jesus writing in the ground? How many have ever like Googled that or read commentaries on that? What was he, it's, it's a mystery, right? What was he writing? Was he writing the names of the Pharisees that had slept with this woman that was right there? Was he writing the names of those that stood there with rocks? By the way, we always call it woman caught in adultery. Other people like to uh, change this thought, this story, and paraphrase it, men caught throwing rocks. But what was Jesus doing? Like, and, and was, you know, this woman caught in adultery? Do you know that like in the Old Testament, there was strict laws that prohibited things from being defiled? right? Like the priest that went into the Holy of Holies once a year, I mean, think about the privilege and the honor the high priest had to go into the presence of God once a year. You and I get to participate in that all the time. Matter of fact, the presence of God is in you and I. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a type of the ark. That's amazing. But the priest would go into the presence of God. On the bottom of his robes, there was bells and pomegranates. It, it represents the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And there was this, this sound that would go forth as he would go in and out of the presence of God. But in the Old Testament, like if a sacrifice was going to be brought to the Lord, if it was a lamb without spot or blemish, and the lamb touched something that was unclean, the lamb now was considered unclean. But you know, Jesus being the supreme sacrifice, it was the opposite in the new covenant. You know, the woman with the issue of blood comes and touches Jesus. In the Old Testament, if a lamb was touched by a woman with the issue of blood, the lamb would be unclean. But in the new covenant, Jesus touches the woman with the issue of blood and cleanses her. He said, you are now clean. And, and it's the same thing. This woman caught in adultery, she's on the ground, she could be completely naked, the shame, the condemnation, she's about to face death under the law, and then it's just her and Jesus. And Jesus is writing in the ground. What is he writing in the ground? So I'm reminded of the story of Moses in the desert. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I, I've been reading the story, just going back to the life of Moses and just diving in and looking at the the story of Moses. I mean, we all know that he was sort of an orphan, and, but then his mom ended up able to take care of him a little bit. He was in the house of Pharaoh, but he was put, uh, he was hidden for three months until he couldn't be hidden anymore. Uh, Pharaoh wanted to kill all the little babies. By the way, when God is raising up a generation of deliverers, the enemy always wants to wipe out that generation. It happened in the time of Jesus and it happens now. And Moses was preserved by the hand of God and raised up, but he's, you know, um, he's in the desert and he sees a burning bush. I remember the story. And the Bible says he turned to see what was going on. He's like, this ain't right. This bush should just be burning up. And he walked over and it says, the Lord saw because he turned towards to see what was going on, the Lord spoke from the burning bush. And then what did he say? He said, you're now on holy ground. Moses. Yeah. Imagine the orphan wounds in Moses. He immediately begins to complain when the Lord's like, I've chosen you to represent me uh, to Pharaoh because I am hearing the cry of my people. Their cry has come before me and I want to send you to tell them to let my people go. 
And Moses is like, I can't even talk, Lord. I got a speech impediment. Why would you want to send me? We immediately like to bring up these things that, and, and how many know though that, the, that Moses was on holy ground? Do you know why he was on holy ground? Because wherever God is, the activity of God is, the ground is holy. That means when we allow his love to burn on the deep places of our heart, it becomes holy ground. I had a conversation with somebody that I looked to as, as like a papa, and um, I don't know him super well, but I called him, and his name's William Paul Young. He wrote The Shack. And I was sharing my heart with him, and I, I don't know what it was, but I'm just talking to him, and my heart's burning, and I'm crying on the phone. I'm like, why am I crying? It reminded me of the first time I asked the father I said, Lord, I'm going to church as a 17-year-old. I said, Lord, I, I want to experience the Holy Spirit. And then I sat on the front row, bawling like a baby. And I don't even know why I was crying. I'm on the phone with William Paul Young, and he's just loving and pouring love and life. And we're reading the scripture together about walking in the light as he is in the light. And, and I was just so refreshed and blessed and loved. And the Lord was just healing something in my heart. And he said these words to me. He said, thank you for allowing me on the sacred ground of your brokenness. What if God wants to bring his love through people around you in such a way that it actually liberates us from the stuff that we've been holding on to for year after year after year after year? And I'm not necessarily talking about overt sins and bondages and things. And the story of the, the woman caught in adultery, it's not just about this woman in gross sin. It's about all of humanity that we've all committed the sin of spiritual idolatry, which is adultery. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. But the Lord wants his burning fiery love just like with Moses on the backside of a mountain, it's amazing what God does in the middle of a desert. He wants us to open our hearts and invite him and his activity on our, in our brokenness. And Jesus, it's just her and the Lord. What was he writing in the ground? I do know this, that whatever the Lord touches becomes holy. So this woman now is on holy ground. How much longer before this was she literally in a gross act of sin? And now before the lamb, she's on holy ground. Can you imagine if we actually believe the gospel that God actually loves us? and he wants to purify and heal. There's something about sinners loving to be in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because his presence is a healing balm. Because he revealed the heart of the Father, not some angry judge God that we made up in our minds. He revealed to us that we have an Abba. And that's what the gospel is. It's a revelation of who God really is. And Jesus reveals to us who God is. Not two or three verses strung together in the Old Testament. 
These Pharisees, all they could see with these two or three verses in the Old Testament, we have to stone this woman. Jesus said, I've come to bring something new and better, a covenant made, shed with my own blood, being the supreme lamb of God, that once and for all, and the work that Jesus did goes to the deepest places of our brokenness. Are you hearing me this morning? If we would just let him in, if we would just turn and see what's going on with this burning bush and say, Lord, I invite you in. And Jesus is riding in the ground. He's, this is holy ground. I'll never forget this conversation I had with William Paul Young. I'm like, first of all, I was like, I know William Paul Young. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I remember we brought him out to a conference and um, I think Rochelle had shared this or I've shared this before, but we brought him out and he was so humble and his hotel room wasn't ready yet and Sarah was about to go to school and she had chapel um, and, and he's like, hi, I'm, I'm Paul. And Sarah, of course, knows who he is. Pastor's kid, you know, they know when a minister's coming to town or whatever. And she's like, I'm going to school. We have chapel. He's like, oh, can I go with you? And it was like show and tell. Sarah got to bring William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, to her high school chapel. <laughs> I'll never forget the guy preaching who I know, and he's a dear brother in the Lord. And uh, he's a young man. And he's like, really? Zach, I'm pre- the morning I'm preaching, you're going to bring William Paul Young in here. <laughs> like, and then one of the pastors is like, is that William Paul Young? I'm like, yeah, he wanted to come to chapel. I hope that's okay. I'll never forget this conversation. I, he said, thank you for inviting me into the sacred ground of your brokenness. And you know how I invited him? I didn't care what he thought. I didn't care. I, I was okay with just coming into the light. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy to me how we do church for years and years and years. And it's like, how could it be that the church sometimes is the fakest version of us? When it should be the realest version of us. And we get bound up in these value systems that are tied to the platform, tied to a title, and tied to all these things that don't even matter in the end. The version of who we are together should be the realest version of us, even if it means we're a little broken sometimes. How are you? Well, don't do the default answer. Well, I'm blessed and highly favored with a fake smile. Actually, I'm kind of going through it. You see, when we walk in the light, when we come into the light, God's light is never to condemn, but rather to liberate and heal. And even when we preach the gospel to broken humanity, those that don't know Jesus, we preach a version of the gospel. It's like, uh, you know, it sounds good, but then there's some stuff in there, some undercutting lies that, well, God actually is kind of ticked off at you. So you, if you don't get right with him, can I, can I just say right now, God is not mad at you. He is mad about you in such a way that Jesus was willing to go into the depths of death itself for you and I. Yeah. 
My goodness. How close was God on the cross to your sin and your brokenness? Talk about holy ground. The ground before the cross. And when we invite him in, he heals us. And here's what happens. We get free. And then we don't have to flatter each other and play this stupid game called church. And then the world will look at us and be like, they actually love each other. <laughs> they will know you're my disciples by the good preaching. No, by the good music we play. In fact, when we love each other, it's a form of evangelism. So we should probably get that right before we run in the streets and start yelling at people. And telling them about a God who loves them, but you know, he's kind of pissed off at you too. It's kind of a, it's kind of a paradox really. And then, you know, the father sent a son and the son saves you actually from the father because the father's really pissed off because God's just and holy, God's justice. What is God's justice? What if God's justice is not retribution, but radical forgiveness and restoration? I want to read a scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. May we invite the Lord into every place of our soul. Sometimes we want to invite Jesus in our heart and then oh, we're all done. It's like, well, the Lord, he might still be cleaning house in there. I've been pastoring for 16 years. I'll tell you, the Lord's still cleaning house in me. Just like the, the heart wounds of Moses, we have our own spiritual orphan wounds and God still invites us in to holy ground. Hebrews chapter 12. What if God's justice wasn't some weird idea where Jesus had to save us from his dad? Let me put it this way. Jesus had to save us from his angry dad. What if the father, wait, didn't Paul say God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself? God was right in the center. The Trinity comes in a pack. You, don't, you can't separate the Trinity. Wherever the Father is, the Son is. Like they're, there's, they're one in substance. One in essence. You know what I learned? The, the word, where we look at the word Yahweh. Uh, my daughter shared something similar to this, but I was just studying it a little bit more. The understanding that the name of God, the name that was unspeakable, the name that it's like, you know, the holy name of God. Uh, the root of that, that actually the encounter Moses had in Exodus 3, he said, Lord, who am I going to say sent me? And he says, I am. And that's Hayah in the Hebrew. It comes from the word Hava, which is like from the breath. It means the self-existing breath of God. This is where we get the understanding that speaking the name of God is like, comes from, from breath. But if you say the name Yahweh, 
without the, the vowels and you just say it, it's actually Yahava. One word, Yahava. Do you know that that's the substance of one word, but there's three Hebrew words inside that one word. There's Hava, which is self-existing breath. There's Av, which is father. And there's Ahava, which is love. What if God was actually revealing himself as one and three in the very name of Yahweh? That just blows my mind, man. See, the Father, Spirit, and the Son was so passionate for you and I that Jesus said, I will do anything that it takes to reconcile them back to myself. And God's justice and holiness was not to save us from his own wrath. God's wrath is not against you, his sons and daughters. It's against sin. It's what harms us. And look at Hebrews chapter 12. It says, verse 24, and we have come to Jesus who established a new covenant with his blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat, the blood that continues to speak from heaven, the blood, that conti- the blood of Jesus that continues to speak from heaven. What is the blood saying? Forgiveness. Wow. That's what the, the woman heard on this holy ground. Where are your condemners? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now the next part says, a better message than Abel's blood that cries justice. See, the scripture in the new covenant defines justice, true justice as forgiveness. But we're still stuck on justice. We become social justice warriors, in fact, and all these things, trying to fix society's brokenness with the broken system. Are y'all hearing me this morning? When there's a higher law of love, when there's good news from heaven, when there's a light of, of the revelation of his love and glory that we see in Jesus and we're transformed by it. It's not some made up version of God, but it's who he really is. And when we are courageous and bold enough to say, even in community, I'm going to be as real as I know how to be. And I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because when we do, we are known by him. We are loved by him and we can love him back. And we're known by each other and we can be known by one another. That's real intimacy, right? Why do we settle sometimes for a fake version of us? Do you know that you can't be known who you really are for a fake version of you? You know why we do it? Because we're afraid of being rejected. I'd rather be rejected for the real me than accepted for the fake me. Hello? And what if, what if God is looking for people to say, let's all just come into the light together? We're not here to like, uh, you know, jockey for position and religious politics. And I, I have the, the title of apostle. You know what that means in the kingdom? That you're the greatest servant of everybody. It doesn't mean I have an armor bearer that carries my Bible around. Well, I'm apostle Zach, praise God. 
Apostle Bishop Arch so-and-so. Like, give me a break, man. And that's why the world mocks the people of God. But may we come back and allow God on the sacred ground of our stuff so we're not getting caught up in all this nonsense. We're all this woman. We're all, the bride of Christ is this woman. We've all committed idolatry, which is spiritual adultery. We've worshiped the God we've made in our own image. We say things like, well, you gotta make Jesus Lord of your life. That means you're the Lord, not him. You don't make Jesus Lord, you surrender to his Lordship. We gotta make Jesus Lord of your life. No, you don't make him Lord, he's Lord. You bow, you yield. That's the gospel, Jesus is Lord. The euangelion is a Greek word, the gospel. It's a revelation of who he is. Now I wanna jump over real quick in closing to first, Second Corinthians three. I just wanna read a couple of verses. Hope you guys are enjoying this. I'm gonna quickly read this. I'm gonna close with a quick story. Second Corinthians chapter four. And I'll just read verse six. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I remember we were in San Francisco uh, just because we wanted to go and hang out and eat good food. And I was with my son and a couple other people. And we were in this area where uh, they were playing cards. We were in Chinatown and I was just fascinated with, it literally felt like you're in another world. Um, it was so cool. And I knew the game they were playing. And so I'm like, I'm caught up and I'm just watching them play this card game. And, uh, and then I, I hear in the corner, dad, dad, dad. And then I hear, dad, what, dad, what, dad, what? I'm like, what is happening? I look over and I see this homeless guy with this huge knife. And it looks like a teenage mutant ninja turtle knife. Like one of those, you know, Japanese knives. And he's walking towards my son with the knife. And he's like, dad, what, dad, what? Well, come to find out it's a plastic knife. And as soon as I stepped towards, because I was right there next to David, the guy turned and went somewhere else. But David was like, dad, dad, watching this guy come at him. I don't know where David is right now. We, we still, it's a joke. Dad, what? Dad, what? <laughs> and so he's saying, dad. He's like, dad, I need you. This guy's coming at me with a knife. And so this guy's like, dad, what? What's up? What? Where? I don't see no dad. And he's walking up. And the Lord reminded me of that. And he's like, it's just how the enemy operates. He taunts us and gets us to question the goodness and the nearness of father with plastic weapons, harmless weapons. And all I had to do is be like, what, David? I spoke and the guy's like, oh, there is a dad. And he stopped. I remember... I, I, when I think about this, uh, this story, the woman at the well, or I'm sorry, the, the woman caught in adultery, I think about how her destiny was altered because Jesus was invited onto 
the broken space and he made that space holy ground. There was a time my mother-in-law and I were running an errand for my wife. We were like packing and she said, I need tape um, and we need some boxes. So we go to the store to get tape and boxes. My mother-in-law driving and we see this woman with a, a stroller and it's a double stroller and she has little ones and she's in distress, she's crying and we're driving. And my mother-in-law and I both, our hearts bend for the broken. So we can easily get sidetracked when we're just on a simple task of going out to get tape for moving. And we could not pass this young lady by without turning around and ministering to her. And so we go up, actually we, we cross through the intersection and I, I looked at her and I'm like, we have to turn around. She's like, I was thinking the same thing. Like we can't, uh, something's wrong. So we went over, we go to the parking lot, we pull in the parking lot. It kind of freaks her out. She's going into the store. So we start ministering to her. Her name's Kim. And, and see, we said, hey, we just saw that you were like having a hard time. Can we just bless you? Do you need groceries? And she's crying. She's like, why would you buy me groceries? And we're like, well, cause we just, we like to bless people, you know? And so we went through and we're just, just pick out whatever you want, Kim whatever you need. And she's putting stuff in the car. And, um, and the Lord was just all over this moment. It was just so powerful. I, I love things like this. And it's like we allowed the Lord to pour through his love, to pour through us and, and just touch this lady. Had we not turned around though, right? We would have missed the opportunity. So we give her groceries and then she needs a ride home. So we give her a ride home. She lives in an area of Las Vegas that is uh, known as Crack Alley. That's a place you don't really want to move to. Come on, somebody. Hello? Um, I actually used to live in that area. I almost got jumped there a few times. Rochelle used to live in that area too, didn't you? You can take the girl out of the hood, but you can't, ta- can't take the hood out of the girl. Come on, somebody. So we take this girl home, and we're driving, and we're praying, and we're just preaching the gospel to this young girl. She's just broken, man. And we're driving and I'm going through uh, the airport tunnel in Las Vegas and I turn around and I look and my mother-in-law is leading her to Jesus and she's praying. She's asking Jesus to come into her heart and she's weeping and we got to drop her off and give her all of these groceries and we're just like, oh man, it was just amazing. And Rochelle's like, where are you guys? We need tape and boxes. I'm like, honey, the Lord just showed up. We'll tell you when we get home. It was so powerful. And then we're driving back and my mother-in-law and I see the sign and it says, save Kim's job. We're like, that's so weird. And it was this creative thing that had nothing to do with this lady that we ministered to. Her name was Kim. But this lady who was a manager of an apartment complex was trying to rent out the apartment. So she she paid for a bulletin board that said, like, save my job. You rent some apartments. But immediately, the Lord says, you allowed me to use you. And it altered Kim's destiny. See, when we don't allow the Lord to come on the sacred, broken places of our heart, we miss out on the Kims that are out there that the Lord wants us to reach. There are destinies that are altered when we say yes, and we don't pass the broken one. 
Jesus didn't pass the broken one. He stooped down and rode in the dirt. What did he write? I don't know. All I know is that ground became holy because that woman was broken. And then he set her free. He said, go and sin no more. You weren't designed for this anymore. May we be a people that allow the love and light of heaven to shine in every area of us so that we can love like him and that love overflows to the broken world around us. How many people are out there right now that God wants to send you across their path and they're like that girl, Kim? And her destiny was altered because we just turned around. That was it. And we were allowed the Lord to pour his love through this. Can we pray together? I pray that if there's anyone here that feels like they have learned about a Jesus that looks entirely different than the one that was just preached to you. The Lord is calling you to open up your heart. He wants relationship with you. He loves you. And some of you right now and throughout the service and throughout the message, you felt the burning love of his presence. Because when his love comes in, his activity, he burns away all the things that are not of love's kind. Would you allow him on the sacred space of your brokenness and your orphan wounds? If there's anyone in this place that says, I want to invite his love in me in a greater way. I want you just before the Lord right now, would you raise your hand up high? Raise your hand before the Lord. Say, I'm, I want his love. Just lift your hand up. There's hands going up all over. Come on, just before the Lord right now, I wanna walk in the light. I need his love to come and burn away what is not of love's kind. You can put your hand down. I wanna ask everyone in the room to pray with me and just simply pray this, Jesus, just say it out loud. Jesus, how you love me. I turn to you. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me from my sin in your precious blood? Would you heal me? I invite you in to every area of my heart and soul. I want relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.